Hello, and welcome to Legal Cut Pro, the Canadian entertainment law podcast. I'm Michelle Molyneux. And I'm Greg Peng. Today, we have an interview, I believe, that you recorded while you were at Banff Media Summit? Banff Media Festival. Oh, geez. Sorry. Banff Media Festival. Yes. <laughs> That's right. Uh, the Banff Media Festival, which uh, happened in early June. And this is an interview with Divya Shahani, and she is a lawyer with a senior associate lawyer with Hall Weber LLP in Toronto. And the topic of our discussion was clearances. So generally about clearances and working with lawyers with respect to clearances for your film project. So yeah, so we recorded this uh, with new lapel mics that I that I bought in in a, in a relatively quiet, but you know still a lot of uh, some background noise. So. And I think that's all I have to say about it. Cool. I'm excited to listen. All right. So hope you all enjoy. And just one more thing really quickly. Nothing in this interview is legal advice and is for information and entertainment purposes only. Hello, everyone. This is Greg Pang with Legal Cut Pro, and I am here with Divya Shahani. Divya, welcome. Hi, Greg. Happy Banff. Happy Banff to you, too. We are right now in Banff in the gatehouse foyer of Mm -hmm. the Banff Springs Hotel, the beautiful gatehouse foyer. This is the quietest room that we could find (laughs) because there are no private meeting rooms that we could book out. So this is as private as we can get. So if we hear some background noise, we're, we're in public. So... The, the acoustics seem great for this room, actually. N- not bad. So far, so good. The Rocky Mountains provide a great background. Exactly. Exactly. A beautiful view behind us. So I'm going to give you a little bit of an introduction, Divya. So, Divya, you are a senior associate at Hall Weber LLP. Senior associate, meaning you're a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Your practice focuses on entertainment, intellectual property, and transactional and corporate matters. You cut your teeth on the business side of the entertainment industry as a headhunter and an executive producer. And your legal advice to your entertainment clients is informed by your business strategy and practical realities. You're particularly passionate about supporting the legal needs of emerging artists. And as such, you are a legal advisor on the board of directors of POV Third Street. Is that how you say it? POV? Yeah. yeah, POV Third Street, an organization that helps marginalized youth break into media, into the media industry through training, mentorship, job placement, and professional development. You're also on the board of directors of DOC Institute and Breakthrough Films Festival, the only f- festival in Canada devoted to short films directed by emerging female directors. Whew, take a breath there. <laughs> and you're also on the board of a couple other organizations as well. So you are a very, very busy woman. Yeah, I try to, uh, I'm a bit of a yes woman, but I do like supporting uh, nonprofit organizations that support emerging filmmakers, you know, whether it's female directors or uh, underprivileged youth or, or what have you, uh, or doc filmmakers in the case of Doc Institute. Fantastic, that's excellent. Just for the listeners, give them a little bit of background on why am I sitting here with Divya Shahani is because we had talked about this podcast, my gosh, maybe three years ago. Was it, was it that long ago? I, I don't remember. It was either two or three years oh gosh, ago. Gosh, time flies. Yeah. When did we meet? Uh, maybe it was three years ago. Three Banffs ago. Yeah. This is actually my <laughs> fifth Banff. Oh, okay. My fifth year anniversary at Banff. Excellent. Yay. Oh, <laughs> congratulations. Veteran, right? <laughs> so we initially conceptualized this podcast Mm -hmm. but you know for for one reason for for a variety of reasons uh, you can commit to being the the full-time co-host yeah i mean we live across the country from each other as well (laughs) yeah but everything can be done virtually and you know i do enjoy 
uh, doing this kind of thing and giving back to the community. Uh, you know, so aside from the hard billable legal work that I do at the office every day, I do a lot of pro bono work at the nonprofit organizations and reaching out. So podcasts are a perfect way to to do that and yeah, not and share share some knowledge. And can you record this with, uh, I know with the Law Society, I used to be a member of the Law Society of Upper Canada and now Law Society in Ontario. Yeah. Doing something like this, can you put it down as part of your your CPD or anything Ooh, like that? Ooh, good idea. <laughs> I think I can put it down for my, the Alberta one. I don't remember. <laughs> the Ontario one has changed since I, I was a member of the uh, uh, Law Society of Upper Canada. Yeah, but, that's uh, smart. I'm totally going to do that. Because you're, you're teaching, essentially, right? Yeah, it's right? professional yeah. development. Exactly. Well, today's topic is we're going to talk about a lawyer's role in clearances in a film and television production. For starters, I'd like to just start, what are clearances generally for those listeners who don't know or may have heard the word but might not be completely familiar what are clearances? Why are they important in a film production? Mm -hmm. For 99% of the productions that our firm and I personally work on, they need to be insured. We need to get errors and omissions insurance for the production in order for it to be distributed. So any license, like any distributor or sales agent of the production will require that you have insurance in place. Now what is E&O insurance? It's errors and omissions insurance, basically protects a production from uh, intellectual property based claims uh, that it may face. And so in turn the insurers require that you run an uh, E&O clearance procedures with your lawyer in order to clear the production before they can bind the insurance. It's, you know, several steps that, you know, distributors and sales agents require you to get insurance, the insurance requires you to get E&O clearance. E&O clearance requires you to get a lawyer to watch the production and analyze every component of it. So I'll break that down. I'll, I'll break down what that process looks like. So uh, you know, insurance can start in pre-pro when the lawyer should review your script report. That's pre-production, okay? Yeah. Yep. So I don't read a script from beginning to end. Rather, most of my clients get a script report done by a clearance company, say the rights company. Uh, we love you, the rights company. You should be sponsor of this podcast, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Good idea. <laughs> Fantastic idea. I will follow up on that. So they will turn around a script report which flags items for legal to review. So I'm reading that script report in tandem with the script and only focusing on the problematic issues that they've flagged. Mm -hmm. so, I'm, so I am looking, I'm contextualizing the issues that they flag in the script. So I am going back to the actual script, but I don't need to read it from front to back. I need to focus on those issues that they've flagged for legal. So, and so that's one very important component of E&O review. Even before that though, I tend to make sure that my clients' releases have all been signed, you know, that they've used good forms of releases mm -hmm. um, for, you know, you name it, performers, locations, materials, artwork, music, you know, making sure they've used a good form and that all that stuff is, is signed up. Because they, again, we're trying to protect against potential claims. And then, of course, the most obvious step in the Eno review is actually watching the production. So I will watch that kind of with a Hawkeye view of making sure that I haven't missed anything in the prior steps 
of clearance, so anything that appears on screen that could be problematic. So the, the overall principle is making sure that the production is not going, it, minimizing the production's risk of facing a third party claim, whether it's copyright claim, or trademark, or you know, violation of privacy, or publicity rights, or defamation, you name it. So we want to make sure that you have, that the production is free and clear of all, like the production has all the rights it needs basically to exploit it. Okay, perfect. So you mentioned that clearances are mainly about clearing intellectual property, potential intellectual property claims, or guarding against potential intellectual property claims, but and claims. And third party claims, yeah. and other third party claims like, like privacy, privacy and, and defamation. defamation. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. But for the purposes of our discussion, we'll concentrate on the IP portion, sure. namely trademarks and copyright. And with respect to trademarks, and here's something that has been a bit of a frustration sometimes for, at least when I work with clients, is mm. sometimes they are told by ins uh, the insurer, and not necessarily the insurer's lawyer, that, hey, you have to get releases for all of the recognizable, the brands that are recognizable on screen that appear visually on screen. Uh, could you comment on that? Sure. I will give you that annoying preamble, though, of that none of this is legal advice. Of course, <laughs> yes. The annoying disclaimer that people hate to hear, but um, of course, this is, this is not legal advice. But in my experience, we do not take an overly conservative approach to, and, and so we do not um, insist that the client clears every possible appearance of a logo or a trademark in the production, because that sets a very kind of prohibitive precedent. It's, it's very difficult for you know, independent producers to actually live up to that standard, nor do they need to. So again, in my experience, I haven't, I've seen insurers and insurers' lawyers don't require clearance of every appearance of, of mm -hmm. a logo or trademark. The analysis really is whether an appearance of a logo or a trademark is harmful in any way to that actual brand. Mm -hmm. Harmful or paints it in perhaps a maybe the risk increases if there's something that's happening uh, within the context of what's happening on screen that... That denigrates the value de that's of that it. Yeah. trademark or logo. Like if we have a Lexus car and then you have someone being stabbed and dismembered multiple times in some kind of horror shoot, mm -hmm. uh, and then you show blood coming down over the Lexus logo, then maybe you might want to yeah, and yeah, then, then the, <laughs> pursue and the axe that. Murderer yeah, drives the Lexus. And yeah, then, you know, maybe is that is that giving the impression that axe murderers drive le Lexus? And, and the character is called the Lexus. Car yeah, for an axe murderer. And that axe murderer is called the Lexus murderer. Then yeah, oh, yeah. See, there you go. That's definitely I would definitely flag that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. Okay, that, that's really good to know. The other way I've heard it worded, and I wonder if you agree with this, is that the in-context use of a brand or a product with a recognizable brand name yeah. is low risk. You know, like if it's just yes, one of the characters. Yes, that's a perfect way of yeah. putting it. The in-context use of a logo, trademark, or common law trade name even, mm -hmm. is that is less of a risk to the production. Yeah, exactly. And what we mean by in-context use is, say, if someone's walking with a pair of a Reebok or Adidas yeah. shoes, and they're just walking, one of the characters walking, and you clearly see the Adidas logo, they're doing nothing but walking, then that, that's pretty much in yes. context use, Generally, right? I don't recommend there. that that logo would need to be blurred in that situation. Right. But if that character is all of a sudden ripping off and, and defacing the Adidas logo and peeing on his shoes or something like that, then, then we're, we're yes. moving beyond <laughs> regular in context use, yeah, right? So yeah, so then you also kind of hinted at another really good point, which is that it's not just the visual representation of a logo that I have to analyze as E&O counsel, it's also 
if a anyone on screen is talking about is, is talking about a logo That's or right. trademark or, or brand in denigrating it in their dialogue. Right. Okay. So compa say comparing it to another brand or defacing it um, in dialogue, that would be problematic potentially. Before we move on to copyright works, I just want to touch on something that you mentioned earlier, that you watch the production. And that means that you are essentially monitoring the production from pre-production to delivery, essentially, right? Is that, yeah. is that what it is? Well, I try not to have to watch multiple cuts of the production. Right. So I tell the client, look, you get me the cut that you think is your mm -hmm. you know, most final uh, cut that won't change in a material way from an E&O yeah. perspective. So even if it's going to change creatively later, you have to be able to assure me that it won't change in a way that'll materially affect my E&O analysis. Yeah. So I, I tend to like a final cut uh, for that reason. So I'm making sure that my analysis is not going to is still going to be relevant. Right. Right. I think E&O a lot of uh, I think um, on the procedures they state at le at the very least a rough cut. Right? Mm -hmm. but, but you want to move beyond it because a lot can change between a, a rough and a fine change, And sometimes the client doesn't realize that the creative change has resulted in a material change from an E&O perspective. And now moving on to the other intellectual property portion of, of clearances, copyrighted works. Mm -hmm. And this is in the context of clearances that if you are displaying a copyrighted work, uh, work in which copyright, the copyright term has not expired, is not in public domain. Would you mind commenting on clearing, clearing copyrighted works for use in a film? And um, let's start with what we're talking about off-pod dramatic productions first. Sure, yeah. Artwork and literary works. I cannot emphasize how important it is to analyze that stuff on screen and to determine with your counsel whether or not that requires clearance. So for dramatic production, I've obviously seen a number of instances where artwork appears on the screen, whether in the background or foreground, and in most cases, unless it's made by you know, the art department of the production, because then in that case, you know, it's fine. Unless it's, it's that kind of situation, you, you absolutely need clearance from the artist. Mm -hmm. So there's been a lot more litigation, for instance, by um, graffiti artists and street artists right. who claim ownership over uh, their works, even if it's in a public space. That's and right. even if it's the result of illegal activity. The fact that it's a result of illegal activity doesn't vitiate the copyright claim under the Canadian copyright law. So, you know, this is, I've actually dealt with this in dramatic and documentary productions where I'm analyzing every possible artwork in the background and I do take a conservative approach when it comes to art. When it comes to art, so uh, not as conservative when it comes to trademarks, but art, take a more conservative approach. Yeah, I mean, again, yeah. the, the, in the the informing principles are different. Yeah. So the you know the principles around trademark is does it denigrate yeah. the brand? Will it reduce the value of the brand in the marketplace in any way? The overarching principle for clearance of art is do you own the rights to yes. show that art because that's it's copyrighted work. And the same applies with literary works. So you know I can think of a number of cases where I'm clearing a dramatic production and they, have, they show books on the coffee table or a character specifically holding up a book, talking about the book, and the author. And so, so in that case, if there's artwork on the cover of the book, I would recommend not showing that. Mm. Uh, in other words, I'd recommend, you know, it's fine to show 
and talk about a book. In most cases, again, like it's all very context specific. I do have to analyze it. In the cases where there's original artwork on the book cover, and that appears on the screen in dramatic production, that's a second le level or second layer of clearance because the artist, you, you don't know who the artist of that work is. Right. It's right. not the author. You're talking about the author in this book. It's not that party. You know, it's some other third party. And either you chase down clearance for that, because it is a copyright work, the artwork on the book cover, or the art department of the production creates like a mock cover or you know just a, a fake cover that just shows the title and doesn't show artwork. So the art department is key. In this case there are you know non-legal remedies that come into play which is mostly me communicating with the art department very closely about what kind of what, what kind of material they're making. Would there be any uh, moral rights concerns of the art department if you're showing that book in particular and talking mm -hmm. about that book mm -hmm. and, and creating a different cover for it? Well, Very I mean, you're, you're covering up the original, uh, the, the artist's, the cover, and which is separate, I mean, separate but related, of course, to the, the, the publisher's mm -hmm. right to, to publish that work and the, the author's right. But I'm wondering, and I don't know the answer, I'm just thinking aloud here, mm -hmm. are there any moral rights concerns around that, that you are covering up the original artwork and replacing it with something created by your art department because it, it was, it's either difficult or too expensive to clear okay. the cover of the original. I mean, I don't think you're, in that case, I wouldn't recommend modifying that for the original right. artwork. Because right. modification <laughs> is where moral rights, moral rights. waiver was, yep. is really needed. So I'm not recommending modifying the original cover. What I'm recommending is replacing it. Just completely replacing it, right? Yeah, yeah. so with a cover that just has a title on it mm -hmm. or some other artwork entirely because we know that books can be published with multiple covers right, right. so it's yeah and, and moral rights attaches to um, to, to the, the artwork itself it's not that the, the artist of the cover they have a right to be associated with the book no matter no exactly. matter what unless yeah. there's something in the a contract that you know not yeah. aware of but that, that'd be really but strange that, that's quite that would be quite remote the chances of a of a claim in that kind of a situation would be quite remote. Right, so again, the informing right. principle is always how remote are the chances of a claim or how real are the chances of a claim. Okay, excellent. Just before we, we wrap it up, one thing that we should probably explain is that oftentimes it gets confused, especially in the media. We went from talking about trademarks to talking about copyright, and oftentimes these are confused concepts for mm -hmm. in, in non-lawyer circles, right, <laughs> or non-intellectual property. So the difference is, and I, I let you know if uh, I'm saying this right, is that the trademarks are you know, logos, slogans, names, and copyright applies to works, and that's why we switched from the term slogans and logos and trademarks to works, which are Man, without going into, into a circular logic uh, explanation literary, here. Visual, yeah, literary, visual, artistic. Yes, yeah. Uh, music. Pre, I think pre-digital age, I think it was explained to me that if you could pick it up and throw it at someone, then it's a work, right? But yeah. <laughs> now it doesn't exactly. quite apply a so much. material manifestation. Yeah. Except now you have, of course, materially, they might not be a physical form to digital works, right? So but that, even that a digital work can, can uh, has a physical, can physical form. Yeah, yeah. exactly. On a yeah. hard drive or, you know, exactly. or yeah. what have you, a file. It exists in a in form of a digital file. That's that's sufficient from a copyright perspective, right? Because right? we all know, yeah. and we as entertainment lawyers tell our clients this all the time, ideas are not copyright protectable. That's right, yeah. 
but physical manifestation of the idea is. Yeah, so in terms of the difference, you know, the trademark has to actually be registered. So it's not just a brand logo or design, it's a registered. Mm -hmm you know, brand logo or design. So registered under SIPO as a registered trademark. Mm -hmm. um, if it's not registered, you know, it's potentially a common law trademark. So you have some level of protection there, but that's not the same as a, a registered trademark. And, and what you can register generally is a mark, i.e. one or more words and or a logo and design. When, when we're doing you know, clearance for production, generally the, something like the, the rights company will do a trademark search over any and all kind of potential brands and logos that appear in the script. And are you a trademark agent yourself? Our firm does a lot of oh, trademark. Yeah? Okay. We, yes. Perfect. Yes. We do a lot of trademark work and, uh, it, you know, it's out of necessity. I mean, it's either, of course. Um, it's either small businesses trademarking their logos and brands or the flip side, which is production, trying to protect themselves and make sure that they're not violating other third-party trademark rights. Are you ready for the new provisions that are coming into force on the 17th? Oh, Which is absolutely. like in seven days. Our firm is, <laughs> I have been slammed actually yep. doing last-minute trademark applications because oh, of that reason. Because the there's been a flood of, of applications of people trying to get them in before the laws change. Absolutely. And, and registering it's if you want to take care, if you want to take advantage of the 15 years registration term before absolutely. it's coming into force. Actually, in three days, I think the system is going offline, right? Yeah. That is. <laughs> Very annoying, I it have is. to say. It is, yeah. You know, the laws change on the 17th, so technically you should have till the 16th, but they've made it uh, like more difficult, slightly prohibitive actually to get applications until the very last day because of this, you know, service shutdown from the 13th to the 17th and the online services. Yeah. So you you have to pretty much drop it off manually. Yeah, paper file, and then there, you have to pay an extra fee for paper filing too. It's an extra. Yeah. I mean, it's only what fifty dollars extra, but it's still annoying. It's then, annoying, yeah. but hey, it's worth it in many cases because. I have a lot of clients trying to get under the current regime, trying to get the application in under the current regime because it's it's less expensive. They're they're paying one flat fee mm -hmm. for multiple classes rather than a fee for every good for every you know class of goods That's and right. services, which is what's going to happen for the new laws, like the U.S. and like you mentioned, uh, you know, taking advantage of the longer term. Yeah. But after the 17th, there's going to be no statement of use requirement. And that's great. <laughs> yeah. We're going to have to do a whole other podcast on trademarks. Oh, yes, exactly. Yeah. Do that. And fair use, because we didn't talk about what was, is like, you know, the exception to copyright right. infringement um, and, and the principles behind fair use. But that, I think, it's we need a dedicated Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we can talk for a whole for half that. hour for that. Yeah. yeah. But let's wrap it up, though. How, where can people find you, Divya? Well, they can email me. My email address is divya, D-I-V-Y-A, at hallweber.com. How about on the social webs, are you? I, <laughs> <laughs> I try not to give out my social No, no, that's cool. Let's not do that then. <laughs> All right, so but we yeah, will. Our, our website is www.hallweber.com. Mm -hmm. And again, uh, I'm entertainment lawyer at Hall Weber LLP, so you can reach out to us uh, through our website or through my email address, which is divya at hallweber.com. And of course, Hall Weber is in Toronto. Yes. Go Raptors, right? Go Raptors. <laughs> Today's an exciting day. Exactly, yeah. Historical, <laughs> potentially. C potentially historical, but... Monumental, you know, really. You know, a, a team with their back against the wall, though, they'll be very, very tough to put away, but it should be a great game tonight. Yeah, anyway, we're going to yeah. put away those champs. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I wish I was in... I mean, I obviously love being in Banff here, and we're all going to be watching the game out here, but Toronto is going to be insane today. Oh, absolutely, I yeah. I was there. <laughs> in, in Jurassic Park, as they say. 
Yeah, people have literally <laughs> been lining up since Saturday. How crazy oh is that? Oh my god, that, that, that is insane. But that is awesome though. Uh, it, it, is, it is so cool to see. We feel the energy here in Banff. We feel the energy across the yeah. country, really. I mean, it's... Yeah. All Canadians are behind this. Exactly, yeah. We would not be behind, uh, I don't think all Canadians would be behind the Leafs, but uh, I think we would get behind <laughs> the Raptors. So I'm saying that as an Alberta boy. <laughs> it's, it's unified the country a lot, for sure. <laughs> exactly. All right, Divya, thank you very much thank for joining us. I'll, I will post in the show notes uh, your contact information, including the firm's website. Um, have a great rest of your conference. And you we too. will see you around. We'll see you around. All right, take care.